If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. What's up, buddy? How you doing tonight? Hey, buddy. It's uh, officially holiday break for me and you. As you Here's see, I'm here at the uh, I'm here at my mom's house, uh, rocking in the <laughs> kitchen. I uh, had to find a, the uh, the best spot for the uh, the Wi-Fi here uh, on the downstairs. <laughs> so I think I'm good here. We'll we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, we don't have any. Uh, technical difficulties as we roll along here if not i'll just keep talking until you get back in there we you go. are the director here i think i can do that <laughs> but i think we'll be good um but we're, we're both on break we yep. are not going to do any work until january 3rd so full watching bowl season watching the Hokies tonight up here 27 27 <clears throat> excuse me um and we have so much download brian tonight yeah, it's a it's a it's a lot to unpack tonight. We've got um, a lot of stuff we're going to talk about with the bowl, some of the opt outs that we're dealing with. Uh, we're going to do some pickums later, um, but we're going to lead off with yep. something that I've been kind of looking forward to. Yep, we're going to be leading off tonight, guys, with Keith Goon Conlon, offensive lineman from Penn State, and Brian's former offensive line coach down in Hampton, Sydney. And just so you guys kind of know the background on Keith, um, he's one of three brothers that played for Paternal in Penn State. He was a starter, not a rotational. He was a starter on the 1994 undefeated team. For me and Brian, again, that's the ages we were starting to get into sports. Kerry Collins, Kajana Carter, Bobby Ingram, uh, Kyle Brady, um, unbelievable. All Big Ten in 1995. He got drafted in 96 out of four of the offensive linemen from Penn State in the sixth round by Brian's Colts. So even more of a place in Brian's heart as coach, and he played for his favorite team. Um, did have to retire due to some neck injuries where he went back into coaching for some years again for Brian. And then he moved back to Penn State where he hosts a weekly, two times a week radio show talking about Penn State football. So for us, or for Brian, it was just like, my old coach does something up here. Let's get him on. Let's talk about Prime, a little bit of everything. So, Brian, I'll let you introduce him. All right, here we go, guys. Uh, he's coached him, but you guys can call him Goon. It's Keith Goon Conlon. 
What's going on, fellas? How are you? Good. How you doing tonight, Coach? Good, buddy. How are you? Don't call me Coach. Or call me Keith. Keith. Call me Goon. There we go. Like I told you in Hampton City, if I can call Joe Paterno Joe, you can call me Keith. Have you on? It's been a long time, for, uh, and I appreciate you coming on with us. It's been uh, it's it's been a, a kind of a wild ride for us as Hokey fans the last few weeks. So, um, kind of good to get a little bit of the uh, the backstory here on our on our guy Pry. Yeah, yeah, you guys got a good one. He's uh, I I always loved his. His defense, the way he coached, how his kids played. And, uh, you know, historically we're up here, we're linebacker you, and we can pepper in a lot of good defense alignment. But we really never really had, like, great defensive backs here. Uh, I know all my friends are going to call me pissed off screaming at me. But, oh, well, we didn't have – we don't have that many guys going to the NFL as defensive backs right now. But Brett really changed it. Mr. Coach Fryer really changed. And uh, – they did a great job with, and Coach Pry was. Uh, I keep on wanting to call him just say Pry because that's what I would call him, Pry. But I, you know, want to call him Coach Pry. So, uh, you know, Coach Pry was. He was the, the the. You know, he was there all throughout Coach Franklin's career here, and he's been the man as a defensive coordinator for the last few years. And you know, guys have got to know him, know his scheme. Uh, they played well. They flourished under it. Whereas our offense has really fluttered the last four years because. You know, again, we've had four offensive coordinators in four years. And, you know, with Coach Pride coming in there and always being that stalwart on defense, knowing you're going to make some plays. And, you know, as a as a Penn State fan and as an alumni, as a former football player, you know, I'm sort of pissed off at last season because we had a hell of a defense that got ruined because our offense sucked. You know, we couldn't we couldn't get we couldn't do anything on offense. And you wasted you wasted a, 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 an unbelievable defensive year. I mean, the seasons that they had and the stats that they had uh, were were unbelievable. I mean, we, I mean, I, I want to throw up right now. We lost to an Illinois team. Okay, we had a nine overtime game. We couldn't get three yards. You know, after the second overtime, you had to go for two. We had six chances and we never got three yards. Co- Coach Pry's defense gave up ten points that game. Ten. The whole game, as as bad as our offense was, you know, Illinois isn't exactly, you know, I'm, I'm not the 94 Lions running around out there, but, uh, you know, his defense kept them in that game. And the fact that they couldn't punch one of those plays in to give them the victory really hurt. Uh, and it was just, you know, that was the beginning of the end, in my opinion, for this season up here. And you know where it starts, big boy. Come on now, you know where it starts. It starts up front. And they're not they're not getting the horses up front, so we, we can't run the ball. So our quarterback has no time to throw the ball because they're not they're not they don't fear our run game. So uh you know it's been a it's been a tough few years because our offensive line has not really flourished uh or progressed the way the rest of our team has. I mean, we have I mean, historically you think of Penn State, you think of offensive linemen, linebackers, and defensive line, and you know. Failed running backs. I mean, that's what the NFL was. I mean, there was a lot of guys going to the NFL, but we were pumping 10, 15 guys in the year in the NFL. Uh, we are pumping more skill players in. I mean, I tell a story all the time. When I got to Penn State, I, there was five recruiting classes. It was my class and then four above us. 16 guys in my offensive line room went to the NFL. 16. It's out of like 25 guys. I mean, nowadays you get two in the NFL in, in three classes, you're happy, you know. And 
that's where it's changed because our, I mean, up here, we're putting a ton of skill players in the NFL. We have more wide receivers in the NFL right now than I think we do offensive linemen. And that's not what we are or what we were. Uh, and you know, again, it goes back to the boys up front. They got to get it done for, if we're if we're going to succeed on offense. I got theories, and I think that it's you're not practicing. I mean, you know, you know how I used to coach. I didn't. We we didn't beat the tar out of you guys, but we practiced. We hit. I mean, nowadays you you know you can't have back to back two. You can't have back to back two days in camps. You can't you know have back to back full pad practices where you're going to go live against the defensive line and then the linebackers a front seven or a scrimmage. You're not, you're not having that now, even in the NFL. You know, you don't have good offensive line play until the third or fourth week of the year. And, and that is, you know, it, it's worked its way down into the college ranks. And, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever done any kind of college recruiting, but literally the hardest thing to do in college is recruit an offensive lineman because you got a guy who's my size, who's six foot eight, 300 pounds or 225 pounds in high school, you know, I could just pick people up and throw them around. You know, you didn't know who, how, how athletic I, you could, I was athletic. That's why I got all scholarships. But you didn't know if I was tough, if I was good, because I was just playing against guys who were much smaller than me. Yeah. And it's so hard to recruit talent right now because is an offense lineman that good or are they just that much bigger than everybody else? When they get to college, now you're going to get somebody your own size who's going to smack you in the teeth, and that's how you're going to react to that. Absolutely. Very true. It is. It is something you're seeing every every year, every year. And you talk about the NFLs; they don't do the full practices anymore during the week. Nope. So, I mean, I think we could go on about this for hours. So, go ahead, Brian. Book. Let's get Keith again. We're going to have him back on to talk about offensive line play. Let you guys get deep into it. So, I'm going to pull us back in. That's what Brian has me here for, Keith. Um, let's let's talk about this during your tenure. And during his tenure at Penn State, did you ever have an opportunity to actually interview Pry for your show? I never really interviewed him. We don't. We, I don't really do all that. I, I I have spent much time with him. Uh, golf course, just going to do celebrity uh, stuff like that, and you know, just sitting there picking his brain. He's a down to earth guy. I love the hell out of him because he is honest and sincere. I did. I one thing I have noticed about him, and I don't know if it's the defensive line that does it, but. They rotate the hell out of them. They play about 12 to 15 guys up front in the front seven. I mean, they really do. I mean, that was – as an offensive lineman, it was always the the hardest thing to do was was to go against a player who bought it every play. You know, you got some some slobs out there who, you know, would take a play off here or there. And, uh, you know, you got a guy who is coming in fresh every third play. He's going to go 110 miles an hour. And that's the hardest guys to block and the hardest guys to go against. So – Expect not to have one of that type of guy. Expect to have he's going to be grooming one or two or three of those guys. Uh, he loves the defensive end pressure, and then the, the big the big guys in the middle getting a little bit of push up front and cleaning up the quarterbacks. But I I, I got to go back. He loves bringing pressure. I mean, I don't I don't think Penn State is corner blitzed in, in the hundred fifty years they've been playing football as much as they have the last two or three years. <laughs> that is a staple of a bud, and if you're the boundary corner in that defense. Yep. Be ready because you have every responsibility. You better bring it, yeah. I mean, and and I and I love that because when you again, you 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 just made me ask you about bringing six. It sounds like his adjustment will be: well, we're going to bring seven. Eventually, you're not going <laughs> to have enough balls to block us, and we're going to pop your quarterback, or you're going to make a mistake. Which is again, I think that's what 
we, 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 we dealt with for so long in these last few years with Bud not being there. Me and Brian had the absolute privilege of going to Bud's last game in Lane Stadium where he pitched a shutout against Pitt, 28-0, in the rain. And it was mastery that day. So uh, it was it was wild to see. Um, but let, let me ask this. And, and, and you've kind of hit on it, so I think I know where you're going to go with it. How does he handle when adversity hits, when you're not winning Big Tens and going to Rose Bowl, kind of like this season? Because even though his defense was lights out, I mean, how he held down Ohio State, I, I watched a little bit of that game. How he held down that offense was absolutely impressive. But but when it's the adversity, and like you say, you give up 10 points to Illinois, you stop them all but one time in overtime. Yeah. What, what's he like when that happens? Buddy, they, they didn't quit the whole year, in my opinion. There was there were certain players that I that I suspected quit, but as a whole, those guys played. And uh, you know, anybody who's played football in the past, and if you're if you're so dominant on one side of the ball, uh, i.e., when I was playing for Penn State, our offense was dominant. So, uh, you know, we would if we weren't, there would be a little bit of angst going on amongst the offense and the defense a little bit. I mean. The fact that they even played and won games after that Illinois game, when that defense should have – they literally should have been fighting the offense in the locker room at halftime, in my opinion. You know how – you know what I'm talking about? I mean, yeah. if it's like, yeah. you know, just need yeah. one stop. Just do, do us a favor. We're busting our asses out here. Help us out. Get a score. Or give me a touchdown. Give me a field goal. Hold them, you know, this and that. So, the fact that he kept those guys playing as hard as they did, even going into that Ohio State game, you know, that was coming off of a horrible two- or three-game span versus Iowa, versus Illinois, and just a bad, bad, bad losses. But to have them recoup and go out there and play the way they did was great. Uh, having Michigan – they were beating Michigan until the last three minutes of that game. And, yep. you know, it's it was nothing to do with – you know, it was a fluky type of play that beat us and, and that Michigan beat us with. Uh, wasn't anything to do with them. But he kept those guys playing hard all year – even when our offense was so inept and he kept those guys going, uh, you know, even again, like, you know, there should have been angst amongst the offense and the defense. And I, you know, I didn't see it on the sideline or I didn't see it on television or hear anything about it, but I know what I would have done if I was a defensive player and we had just lost a nine of a 10 game to a, a two and seven team. I, you know, there would be blood in the locker room and it wouldn't just be me. It would be all of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, holding a locker room together like that is, is it definitely has to be hard, especially with. I mean, we experienced some of that with the with the Hokies this year. Um, you know, the the season kind of started off. Defense was playing well. Offense couldn't get it going. Um, then towards the end, defense started letting things away. Offense settled in a little bit on the ground game, but uh, you know, the guys kept fighting. I, I I'll credit JC with after after Fuente was let go, kind of holding that locker room together and you know, going into the Commonwealth Cup and getting one from UVA there to close things out. Um, yep. But let's talk about something else a little bit here. Um, you know, we talked about adversity. How does how does Pry handle uh, the, uh, the the successes? Is he more kind of even keel, or does he kind of let his emotions hang out there like we've known Bud Foster every, in the past? Buddy, every experience I've ever had with him was he was even keel the whole time. He could have been, you know, maybe celebrating a beer or, or an extra beer or two after a game here and there, but. Uh, it was always about getting on to the next game and moving on. It was, 
You know, after a bad loss, it's like, okay, we got to get moving on. You can't dwell on your losses too much. You can't dwell on your wins as much. So, uh, you know, I noticed one thing about Coach Franklin and his staff up here, which we never really had up here, and these guys are dynamic recruiters. I mean, you know, Coach Bry is going to go out there. They're, they're going to find the, these these superstar players that are going to fit their program. Uh you know, and they're going to be a fresh program, and they're going to want you know they're going to want to play their guys. So he's going to have very good recruiting classes the next few years because one, he works his tail off at, at recruiting, and he's going to bring the guys in, and guys are going to want to go there and play because they want to play for, you know, he's going to want to play his first or second year guys that he recruited type of thing. You know, you you never want to think that, but it's sort of true. You know, if, if there's a guy been there for four years and he's got one more year left, you know, he can help you out in this scheme, but you know, you want your it's the future you're worried about, and I think that's what what his biggest asset is: is that he can recruit, he can coach, and these guys play hard for him. Yeah, that's probably doubly true for the Hokies because we've had so many opt outs uh, here and some transfer portal issues in the past. We've got probably 19 guys uh, on the current roster between opt outs and seniors and everything else that are kind of moving out of the program um, coming that's ridiculous. in. We're going to have – the young guys are going to have opportunities, uh, especially guys that are enrolled. We got, I think, 22 in this class. Half of them are enrolling early. So we're going to have guys that are going to get some opportunity in the in the spring here too. So it'll be nice to see if some of those guys that he had a – because I know a couple of the guys that, that were in our class he had looked at when he was at Penn State. Um, Gun, no Gunner Givens was, was probably the biggest one there. Yeah, I mean, the whole transfer portal thing. I mean, I talk about you – know, Coach Franklin has bought in the, the number six recruiting class in the country, you know, and he's had top ten in the last three or four years. So it's like the whole transfer portal, It's it. he has to recruit. And then, you know, Coach will learn – Coach probably will learn this, and he's doing it now. But you're literally re-recruiting your team every year. Yeah, and yep. it's, just, it's just such a different game uh, – then we know that you guys grew up that, that I played in, you guys played in. It's 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 nowhere even close. And uh, you know, to get off to, to ride my horse here a little bit and say, you know, after re, you know the signing day fiasco down at Jackson State, Florida State, you know, after a one point five million dollar deal from a, from a barstool sports you know transfer, you know, a kid drops Florida State to go to Jackson State. Okay, well, that's fine if you want to go there. That's fine, but it was money that made him go there. So the days of us experiencing and loving college football that, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, those days are over, man. And it, it, it's, it's, it's sad to think about, but this is the way it is. This is where we are at right now. And you got a young coach right now who understands the game, understands recruiting, and he's dy- dynamic as hell. So he will take advantage of that transfer portal and bring some players in for you guys. And, and I think I'm going to go, Keith, what you just said about um, using the transfer portal and having his guys. As many as weird as the COVID thing was, and guys getting extra years and having more scholarships, but as Brian has already yep. said, as many guys leaving, Coach Prime's going to be actually he's going to be able to go to the portal and find his guys. You know, he's going to be able to say, "I recruited this kid two years ago. He went to Michigan State, but now he's oh, yeah. in the portal. I'm picking up my phone. I'm calling him because you still you, you still know, have his cell number, man. Yeah, exactly. And you know they do. And and for him and and you take Michigan State this year. I know you guys lost to them. Did anybody see them winning any more than five or six games? In the way Bell Tucker hit the portal, found his guys to put in certain positions, 
going and getting Kenneth Walker from Wake Forest. The opportunities there, and, and every time you hear Coach Pratt talk of our interviews, he was at the, what we call Tech Talk Live, he talks about the portal. He is going to have specific yeah. guys focused on the portal. So There's no doubt. And, and, you, and, you, and for me, for us as fans, you kind of love it because you know if he doesn't like what he sees we currently have on roster, he's going to go fishing for him. And it's not going to take long to put his team together. Yeah, yeah we uh, we have a new basketball coach up here, and and we had talked about how he went out and got four or five guys off the transfer portal, and it's the same way with the football portal. And that is okay. You know what? You know maybe you guys need a left tackle, so there's three guys out there. You got to go out and recruit. You know you got to go. It's a lot easier to build your team rather than going out. Uh, Going to a high school and saying, "Hey, we we need a left tackle. We need you in two years." So I got a question for you. Uh, think about like, say you spend ten million dollars in recruiting right now, high school recruiting. You may as well drop it down to five million dollars high school recruiting and five million dollars transfer portal. That's mm-hmm. where we're at right now. So why yeah. would you spend the majority of your time and 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 uh, you know your your staffs? expertise out there you have to do the high school recruiting yes you have to do that but you can also go to that transfer portal and pick what you want and you know the transfer portal and the nil things changing the game a little bit because it's a lot easier to get rid of guys too it's like hey you know it's not working out here why don't you jump in that portal you know when as i played you know if a kid was a bust he was there for four or five years no doubt you you were you were stuck with them you know and nowadays it's uh, hey, it's not. It's not working out. You need. You need to skedad. Get the hell out of here, and that's good and bad, you know. Uh, but you know, Coach Pry could go out right now, and, and he can pick up whatever he. If he could go food shopping at the grocery store right now and pick out all the ingredients of the stew he wants to make. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the crazy thing about the the transfer portal is that you know we're seeing uh, the problem that the Hokies have had is roster management overall we like we we've been a little bit too dependent on the transfer portal to even have a, a what, what i would consider a reasonable roster um between the, i mean the quarterback position is probably the biggest one going into this offseason where we just had braxton burmeister uh hit the transfer portal uh knox Kadem the backup at the transfer portal so we got a, another kid that transferred from a and m a year ago but a year uh, and, after, and we, we two more to the transfer portal and one who tore it up at Tennessee. So yeah. you talk about roster management. And then there's other players, like we, we had a kid go to Central Michigan. And I know that's G5, but Khalil, Pimpton, Khalil Pimpleton tore up Central Michigan. I feel like we're coming off a staff that it, it was like apparently like the kid that went to Central Michigan, like he ran good routes, he had speed, he was dynamic, but he had struggles catching. And – it almost irritates you. You see this kid catching everything up there. It's like you didn't want to take the time to work with that kid. He showed you he was dynamic with the ball in his hands. He had good route running skills. He could punt return. And he couldn't catch the ball his freshman year. He's an 18-year-old kid. And it's like, oh, why don't you hit the portal? Head back home. And you see this kid on Wednesday nights. What, one Wednesday night he had three touchdowns. Had one off a run, one off a punt return, one off. and had like 300 yards total so it, it drives me crazy. Let me hold on. Let me settle down here before we go like two hours. We'll drink. Curtis getting fired up here. It, it'll drive you crazy, man. It will, man. It will. Hey, but let's, let's we, we we get the feel of pride. Awesome. Now 
it's not official, but it's unofficial. Tyler Bowen's going to be joining us as the offensive coordinator. Not sure if it's going to be a co-type role or what. Um, but up at Penn State, just a couple years ago, he was the co-OC. He was the tight ends coach for, man, some really good tight ends. Um, Pat Fairness has been on my fantasy team this year, helping me out here and there. Um, but what's the feeling out of Happy Valley with Bowen as a coach and a recruiter? Well, he was a great recruiter, no doubt about that. He I mean, he left – he, you know uh, – Look at the name Joe Moorhead. I know we talked about it pre pre on the pre-show, but Joe Moorhead, yep. Mississippi State, Oregon. Now he's I believe it. Did he take Akron? Is that who he took? Yeah, took Akron. Okay, so he's down there now. But you know that's who Tyler was learning from was was Joe Moorhead, and then he actually left and went to he actually went to Fordham where Moorhead was coaching before he came to Penn State. So he has a he he's very good offensively. He's a fantastic recruiter. Uh, he's at the Jacksonville Jaguars right now, so he must be pretty good for Urban to hire him to an NFL staff. So, uh, but you know, he took that. I guess him and Brett have a good uh, coach. Pry have a good relationship, I guess, for him to bring him on as the OC down there with you guys, hopefully. And uh, I, I, I personally think he'll do a great job. He's a good man, also, but he's also a really, really good recruiter. So, I'm going to tell you, you guys, the, the future is very bright down there in Blacksburg. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask this. Um, I know, you know, he was uh, co-OC in 2019. Well, yeah, 2019. Um, I guess he called the uh, the bowl game that year, right? Uh, when uh, Ricky Ronnie uh, went to ODU. Yeah, Ricky Ronnie went to Old Dominion. Yeah. Um, and then, I guess, 2020. Uh, was there a reason that he decided to take the job other than Urban came calling? Or, or like, what, what was the uh, the whispers out there in, uh, in State College? Well, they had, they, they, he had probably been passed over twice now for that offensive coordinator because, again, we've had four and four years up here. So okay. uh, he was the replacement for Ronnie, and then they went out and they picked up uh, the guy from Minnesota who really didn't work out well. Uh, and uh, but I think that Tyler – I mean, I, I don't know for a fact. I don't know anything. I never heard any rumor of it. But, you know, he probably felt like he was passed over, and then he needed to get some more experience out there. And uh, he went down to Jacksonville and worked with Urban – uh, you know, who who would have thought that we're in this position with Urban Meyer that, you know, when he took that job last year? Yeah, I, I thought it wasn't going to be good for him long term. I didn't think it would be this much of a clown show <laughs> that he's fired mid season, like everything with the girls at the Shortest. bar, stuff in the in the locker room. I mean, Shortest tenure ever for an NFL <laughs> coach. He couldn't That's get wild. to work Petrino did. Um I was going to – Bobby um, Petrino had more wins in the NFL than him. He did. And he lasted longer. It's impressive. That's, that's um, ridiculous to think about. <laughs> that's wild. Absolutely. Hey, man, um, that's for another show because, uh, you know, he has a $50 million contract that they said they're not going to pay. So get ready for those fireworks down there. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. And they're going to counter sue and it's going to be ugly. All Everything's going to come out. It is. It is. If well, he wants that money, they're going to say, well, you did this and you did this and you did this. That's in the court of law. So, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. interesting. Stuff's about to get official. <laughs> they're going to put it on the record. Absolutely. Hey, but you know what? I'll say for you guys up there, I'll give Franklin credit. At least he is willing to move on from OCs if it's not working. And I'm hoping Brent's that type of guy, too. Like, as much as we, we're excited about Tyler. If he's struggling, I hope he takes James's yeah. thing of okay, 
we need to move on because unfortunately for us as Virginia Tech fans, for really the last 15 plus years, that's always been our issue. You talked about having struggles on offense. That was the mid 2000s for us. Bud's defense giving up eight, nine points a game and losing multiple games a year because they hold the team to 10 or to 13 and we can't get to 14. So I'm hoping Pry takes that from obviously one of his, you know, I wouldn't say buddy, one of his mentors and James that says yep. you got to move on from guys when they aren't being successful. And, uh, you know, that's my feel yeah. on that just because we've got to deal with it so long. Yeah, the, the big thing that we always had is that we had some decent offenses, but it was always like it, it, it was in spite of the talent. Like we had really good talent at, at skill positions and quarterback and, and occasionally an offensive line, but we just the, – the offense as a whole just could not get it going consistently. I mean, we, we had several, you know, really good running backs, guys that played in the NFL, wide receivers that played in the NFL, offensive linemen played in the NFL, all on the same team and just – averaging 20 points, 25 points a, ga- a game. Like, you, you can't win like that in the ACC. No. Nope. Yeah, the the days of the Joe Paterno and uh, Frank Beamer loyalty to your guys and keeping it the same staff for 25, 30 years, we're never going to see them again, boys. Those days are over. And it's good and bad. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you, you know, there is too much turnover in football. But like we just said, like I said about that signing day stuff, that – the days of football that we knew and we loved and we played, they're, they're, they're long gone. So we got to figure it out. And, again, you guys got a guy who understands the, the transfer portal, understands recruiting, understands kids nowadays. He knows what they want. He knows it's, it's no longer going to play in Blacksburg or Virginia Tech because you want to play for Virginia Tech. It's just Virginia Tech is going to be my best opportunity to get me to the NFL. And that's the way these, these kids think right now. It could be a – a seven-string offensive guard who thinks he has NFL aspirations. And, you know, it's crazy, but this is the way these kids are nowadays. And I think the coach, all the coaches nowadays, they understand that. And the faster the people will learn that, the quicker your turnaround will be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I think, you know, if, if you're thinking about it from the same mindset that, that folks were approaching it in the 2000s and in the 90s, I mean, it's – Anymore. It seemed like 2010 was kind of the, the big shift when, when, when things kind of went from from one mindset to the other. And then it's only gotten, you know, added on to with the transfer portal. And then again with uh, with NIL this last year. And, you know, me and Curtis always talk like NIL could be something that is an asset. But because the NCAA just drug their feet and drug their feet and then just said, all right, you guys figure it out. And now we're just trying to like it's it's such a clown show right now. Everybody trying to figure out all right, well, how, how we're going to navigate in this this kind There's of new. Nobody monitoring it. Yeah, no. That's why no the problem is you have schools out there who are going and saying, "I'm going to give you a five million dollar deal." What kid is going to say no to that? Nobody. 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 You know. And then the sad part like, is, the sad part will be when that kid is terrible his freshman year. They're going to be like, "You don't have a deal right. anymore, son." <laughs> oh, your boy in Oklahoma. What the hell was uh, oh, Rattler. Oh, yeah. Real Spencer cool. Rattler. He made how much? Six, seven million dollars? Six, yeah, six, seven hundred thousand bucks. About the return of investment. He played four games and got cut. Yep. That's Great crazy. investment. And then, and then the kid the kid from Texas going to Ohio State after he skipped his senior year to go to Ohio State made three million dollars and then didn't even play a snap. Yeah. He didn't play, he didn't throw a pass 
collects that money and goes back down to Texas now. Uh, that, that was a finesse move, man. That was a, that that was was a big time fleece. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I have my own radio show, so I have my own opinions of it, and it's just, it's just not good. It's not good at all. It, it's, it's. I understand the point of it. Listen, everybody, you know, got exploited when you were in college. I get it. You know, it, it's what happens, and the school makes money off of you, and you get nothing. I get it. Just what about giving every eighty-five scholarship kid five thousand dollars a month, and just add that into the scholarship money? And then you don't have anybody going out there because this is what's going to happen. You're going to have the left tackle who is going after an NIC money, but the star quarterback and running back get that money. You think that guy is going to be happy about that? And you think that's going to be okay in the locker room? So the big boys up front aren't going to get anything. It's going to be your running backs, your quarterbacks, and your star linebackers. That's just the nature of the game. So the big boys up front are going to be pissed. We're still going to be hungry. We're still not going to be making any kind of money. Uh, and there's going to be all kinds of issues in the locker room. It's just bad. I mean, just bad, bad, bad. Wait until, hey, coach, I can't play this week. I have an autograph show. Like, I, I got to miss practice tomorrow night. You know, I got to go see my tax account. I got to go see this person because I'm, I'm going to – I have a tax burden right now. It's just I, insane, man. See, Keith is on the same mindset I am because I told Brian before my joke is this. What happens when the kids forget to pay his taxes and he's hey, an Ohio State know. quarterback? He's coming to Happy Valley to play, guys. Oh, no, he's getting arrested because he didn't pay his taxes last year. Oopsie. Absolutely. Um, let, let's let's close out with this because, again, Keith, we're going to have you back sometime in the near future because we just went 45 minutes on this, and there's a plethora of issues we'd love to talk about with you. But let me ask this. Gut feel. Brent Pry, Virginia Tech. Does he get us back where we expect to be? competing for ACC titles, winning 9, 10, 11 games a year. Absolutely. Uh, hell, if Pitt can do it, he can do it, man. <laughs> I, I like that mindset. No I doubt like about that. it. I, he's a winner, dude. He's going he's gonna to fight, scratch, and claw to get, to, to get there. He, he don't like losing. And in, in the recruiting battles and in, in the on the on-field stuff, uh, you know, you got a winner there. He's going to go out and he's going to go – He's going to compete. He's going to have his kids compete and playing hard. That's all you can ask for for a coach. I, I love the sound of that. Um, you know, I think ever since uh, the, the announcement has been made, it's just kind of been a different switch uh, here in uh, in Richmond, where we are in in Blacksburg. It just there's a completely different feeling around the for the program. And, you know, some of it has to do with some of the ineptitude of the previous staff and some of it has to do with just the fact that uh, what Coach Pry is bringing to the table is is, is the goods. And yeah. I think that's what we've been missing. Yeah, but he's going he's gonna to go out there and he's going to get your fan base all riled up. That's what you got to do. You got to get the fan base behind you. And, I mean, Virginia Tech, I mean, you know, I lived down there in Richmond in, in, in that area for, what, four or five years I know who they like. I mean, they can be all the UVA fans you want, but you can tell who they are, but you know who the, U, the Virginia Tech fans are, and there's a lot more of them out there. And, you know, I have always said that the Virginia Tech and Penn State guys are very, very similar in our – one is because a lot of uh, people go to Tech grad school from Penn State, and a lot of people go to Virginia or Penn State's grad school from Virginia Tech because of the ag buildings and the, the ag sciences and all that stuff. So there's a lot of, a lot of turnover – uh, a lot of Virginia Tech and Penn State marriages too. So yeah. I've always, you know, liked that. Uh, 
and about you guys. And, you know, there's, you know, you're going to have a, a bunch of people up here who are going to root for pride, root for you guys. So take Clemson down F pit, do it, baby. You got it. <laughs> Get it back to the way it was. There we go. Yes, uh, while we got you on here, I know we're going to talk about the, uh, the pinstripe bowl a little bit here after yeah. our break, but uh, one, I know we, we talked off air. You said that you had had a uh, experience there a couple years back. Um, what what can we expect from the pinstripe bowl for the Hokies? Dude, I'm telling you, it was – I had never gone – I mean, I, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, so I really never had to leave that area. I went to New York City maybe once or twice in my life before uh, being an adult. So, uh, But I had never been to New York City for holiday season with the, with the Rockefeller tree, with the ice skating rink, NBC, NBC Studios. And you could just feel there's an aura up there about it being the holidays. And it was just such a cool thing. Just a really, really cool thing to experience. A ton of restaurants. As I mean, you don't, I don't have to talk about the nightlife or the restaurants, but the game was really cool because you obviously you're in, you know, you're in Bronx, in the Bronx, and you're getting off the subway, and there's you know the Cathedral of Baseball right there. Uh, just the whole landscape of it, and just seeing how it's set up is a really cool, cool thing. And uh, I wish I remember the, the the pregame bar I was at because it was a hell of a time, and the postgame bar was even better. So, uh, <laughs> if, if, you, if you got an opportunity to go up there, get get up there and bring the bring the family and bring the kids. And I know it's a little bit riskier right now than it was five years ago to go to New York City with the uh, you know the uh, the police issues and stuff like that. But it was really worth it. I really really enjoyed it. I mean, to the point where. I'm as mad and pissed off I was about Penn State season. I I would have gone to, if they had Penn State had gone to the Penn State Bowl. I would have I would have definitely driven up. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, neither of us can make it up there this year. But I know there's a lot of folks that lit that are listening, folks that follow us on Twitter that are heading up there. So hopefully they'll have a good up that way. But a couple minutes. But before we we let you go, Keith, appreciate you jumping on. It's been great talking with you again. Chopping. A little bit of ball chopping it up about Coach Pry and back to your Virginia Tech. So thank you for joining us, and I really appreciate it. You got it, man. I enjoyed it too. Good luck to you guys this year, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you guys again. Oh, definitely. We will definitely be having you back on to talk a lot of these bigger issues in college football, man, because it's only going to get worse, brother. We're gonna You're going to be calling me next week and saying, did you see this? I'm like, yeah, dude, I saw it. Exactly. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm actually trying to do some stuff to help our guys out. I mean – you, I mean, I go back to the Virginia Tech and Penn State. I know we're going wrong here, but we're not in the big metropolitan towns, man. We don't have that stability. So a school like Virginia Tech and a school like Penn State are behind the eight ball. We are really, really, really – like we can't compete. I mean, just believe that we can't compete with Pitt when it comes to like uh, NIL deals because there's, they're in a city. They have so many more opportunities. And that's going to catch up to us in the long run if we don't get ahead of it. So – Good luck with the boys. You're going to need it. So will we. All right, Keith. We appreciate it, man. All right, y'all. Before we get into even more, we are going to take a quick pause so I can drink something and Brian can drink something for a quick pause from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. Uh, again, we thank you for having and Right before I was interrupted by the commercial, 
we've got a lot to unload now. We've been talking with Keith 50 Minutes about Tyler Bowen, about Coach Pry's experiences, and some other things. And trust me, we'll, we'll have Keith back on to discuss a bunch of other things in the near future. But, Brian, let's talk about some things Hokie-wise. Let's talk about signing day last week. And, you know, how was your feeling overall? Did you did you like how we ended up currently ranked 30th in the class? You know what? I, I liked it overall. Um, obviously, I would have liked for a couple of those uh, late flips uh, from some of the uh, the two or high-profile players and Ramon Brown and Alex Orgy. I, I wish we could have held on to those guys. Um, but – Closed out the class good, flipped a couple UVA commits late, um, you know, pulled in a couple other guys like Hunter McLean late. Yep. Uh, I think that kind of really sealed a, a really good class and overall the best class that we've had since kind of the early uh, Fuente classes there. So I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to see what these guys can do on the field, especially I know we talked about it earlier with Keith, but we got 12 of those guys enrolling early. Yep. Uh, and that's going to be big, especially with the holes we have in the roster from – just bad roster management overall, and then all the opt-outs we've been dealing with. Yep. And you talk about the two VUVA commits. Brody Meadows was one. We had talked about Brody back in the spring when we were looking at some of the players in the state of Virginia. But the other guy that was flipped and then committed and signed on Friday, Xavion Bradshaw, Ahmad Bradshaw's son out of Graham, same high school as Meadows, three-star, um, Six foot 185, listed as an athlete. I think they listed him as receiver. I have to go back and look. He's um, going to be a slot receiver, yeah. He's, okay. He's a slot receiver, yeah. Uh, I mean, in a solid, you know, list of, you know, offers and interest, you know, Cincinnati, App State, uh, saw some interest from West Virginia, some interest from Notre Dame. So, obviously, there was something there. Um, and flipping him was a big thing. Um and it's again, it's like the focus on the state, right? Even though we lost a couple guys in state, we gained a couple more guys. And I tell you what, both Brody and his thing, you you could see they were waiting on that offer, right? You, you could, yeah. See. I, I mean, I, I think Brody was really hurt that he didn't get a offer from the Hokies earlier uh, when, when Fuente was around. Um, getting getting that offer uh, once Pry took over. Um, really, again, emphasizing, you know, talent in your backyard. Um, Bluefield, Virginia is definitely right in the there. Blacksburg backyard. Damn um, so, so taking advantage of that, I think, was big for us. Uh, and, and it definitely said, I think it send, sends a good message to the talent in the state, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, whether or not either of these players end up having significant careers for the Hokies. It sends a message out the gate that we are prioritizing talent in our backyard, talent in our state, talent in our footprint. Absolutely. All right. I'm going I'm to stop here for one second. Um, we're watching the tech uh, do game as we record. Techo has the, had the halftime lead now down five with 10 minutes to play after coming off. Obviously, their most impressive game last Friday against St. Bonaventure. I think Bonaventure is a good A-10 team. We can attest yeah. to that watching them play BCU. And they took them behind the woodshed. And right now they're keeping up with a impressive Duke team. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I think this is a little bit of a maybe a, a turn of the corner um, for the team, even if they aren't able to hold on and, and win this one. Um the game against uh, St. Bonaventure was big, I think, for um, confidence, right? 
Uh, I think we went through a string where we lost a couple that we shouldn't have, lost a couple other ones that we thought we could win and we kind of yeah. let get away. And the St. Bonaventure win was big. And I think, you know, they the bodies didn't have their best game. They obviously, didn't. that wasn't their best game. But at the same time, Shelby. some of that was di- – some of that was dictated by what the Hokies were doing. So I'm, I'm hoping that they're able to, to close this out, get a win against a really probably the best opponent in the conference that they'll see all year um, and, and, and kind of keep it moving and get some momentum. Well, we say that, and as, as we get done with our interview on Keith and I'm paying more attention, we're losing, so I might have to turn it off. We're down 10 now. Um, let's go to this, Brian. Obviously, some big news on the coaching front. Let's start with – one more guy retained, and that is Pearson Prelude. Going to go from defensive player development to the safeties. Pearson, an originator of DBU, was here 95 to 1998, drafted and then played 12 years, including a Super Bowl ring. We're not going to talk about the Super Bowl ring yet. <laughs> um, how are you on this hire, Brian? Um, I actually like it. Now, I will say this. It is not sexy. Oh, no, it's no. Not, it, it's not sexy to promote your uh, director of player development for defense to your coach. Um, we saw it happen a couple years back. Um, but where I think this is different is Pearson's overall pedigree in the NFL. Time that he spent with JT on the road this year. Yep. And then the last thing is that opportunities were available to him before now, and he passed on prioritizing, spending time with his family, being able to be in a local area most of his time, not not have to be on the road recruiting. I think as his kids are getting older, the opportunities still presenting themselves, time to jump in and coach for your alma mater at a position that you played that you are highly novel in and for a new staff where there's as much about the program as there's been in a while. Absolutely. I mean, he's a legend here at tech and, and I think him being here for a few years, it, 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 it probably helps with the transition a little bit more because you've got JC, JC's only been on the staff one year. A lot of these guys who are going to be around next year will probably have known Pearson from Jump Street in some way, shape, or form. Um, and again, yep. no knock on Ham. Ham played safety one year. He was good, and he played a couple years, and he's kind of coached the defensive side. This has literally been Pearson's position his whole life, his yep. whole life. And now the question is, can he recruit? Can he coach, though? The guy can play. There was never any question about that, but can he coach? And I think we'll find out pretty quick because he's got a couple talented guys with them who had good seasons who were kind of up and down. If we see more steady play, we'll know, hey, maybe he's the right guy. Now, with that being said, Brian, if he's going to safeties, the cheetah Derek Jones is coaching corners. That means Ryan Smith is leaving us, unfortunately. Smitty's heading up to Northwestern. Head up to Northwestern. I think, um, you know, I, we, we talked before all this start, started to go down. Smitty was the other one on this staff that we were hoping got retained. We were hoping moved to safeties to coach there. So there's obviously some disappointment there. And I think that that's probably where some of the uh, the unsexiness lies as well, is that, you know, we thought someone that was already on the staff was going to slide into that spot. Um, but 
you know, he's moving on. I think some of that is probably good for him um, just because overlapping regimes when you don't have a full on relationship with, with the guy coming in, that can be, can be a little dicey. Obviously JC longer relationship with, uh, with coach pride than, um, you know, the kind of short crossing a pass with, uh, with Ryan Smith there. So, um, you know, I, I wish him nothing but the best, especially since he's not in the ACC. (laughs) So, uh, you know, and and maybe this is one thing where he goes, gets some more experience and we'll see him again in a few years. That might be the case. He's definitely going to um, work for a hell of a head coach in Pat Fitzgerald, who seems like every other year, if he's not winning three games, he's winning nine or ten at Northwestern and taking Ohio State to the brink in a championship game. All right, so got those coaches. We already talked about Tyler Bowen. It's not official, but everything points that he's going to be the OC and the tight ends coach. But since the last time we talked, well, we talked, just me and Brian, Love last week with Tally and them, but we've had three additional coaches. I want to start with Stu Holt here, Brian. Stu Holt um, going to be the special teams and the running backs coach. And, man, does he have the background, especially in special teams and running backs. You know, his special teams seem like they're – he's similar to Shabest. He's an ace special teams guy there. You know, some of his receiving teams – have return teams have ranked up in the top five, which is really impressive. And somebody said, oh, they thought he was going to be tight ends coach. And I'm sitting here like, uh-uh. Look at what he did at App State. Get that man in the running back room, and that's where they're going to put him. Um, and obviously, he crossed paths with uh, Coach Pry back in the late 1990s down at Western Carolina where he was a GA while Pry was a DC. Um, I, I like this. I mean, it's still someone from the ACC, um, and you get – there is no fall-off now with special teams coaching, and can we say it's probably an upgrade at the uh, running back room? Yeah, definitely an upgrade at the running back room. Um, at at no, at worst, a uh, an even swap there on the uh, the special teams unit um, could, could be a step up there as well. Um, I like this hire overall. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the running back room for certain um, because that's probably one area where we were dependent upon talent out the gate in order to have a good unit. Um, we, we were thankfully able last couple of years to bring in some transfers that, that buoyed that up. Uh, but we're going to see what some of the young guys have this year, and I'm, I'm hoping that Holt's going to guide them along the way and get them playing to their, uh, their best ability. And maybe we'll finally see Marco Lee get some carries. <laughs> uh, well, with potentially what we're going to be doing in the offensive game, which I know you're going to be able to look up a little bit more as week next month, maybe Marco Lee does get some carries. Stu Holt, Broyles Award finalist in the past, as is the next guy. Brad Glenn joins the staff as the quarterback coach and passing game coordinator, had been down – at Georgia State um, since 2019, was at Western Carolina before that um, for about six years. And at first I was not overwhelmed by this hire. I'll be straight up with you, Brian. I wasn't. But I'm going to give him a shout-out. Shout-out J.J. Singleton out there. Um, We had some DMs with J.J., and J.J. was like, listen, J.J. knew him from his time at Western Carolina, and he actually had a class. And he said, 
This guy knows his football. And as I said already, he was a Royals Award finalist before. So I, I, I'm still sort of gung-ho on this. It's a Brad. He's coaching quarterbacks. <laughs> All, he's got a goatee. But You've been burned. You've been burned before. What are you? Yeah, we've been burned before. What are you seeing with him, Brian? Uh, I I mean, I think the big thing is that you know I think he's going to be a good complement to the guy we think is going to be the offensive coordinator, which you know it sounds like for all intents and purposes is our offensive coordinator and Tyler Bowen. I think he's going to be a good complement there. Um, You know, Tyler's worked with tight ends. He's worked with offensive line. We got a quarterback guru. We got someone that knows how to um, generate points from the passing game. Uh, Brad Glenn can definitely do that. We've seen it with the uh, the Georgia State offenses. We've seen it with the Western Carolina offenses. And App State. Uh, and App State. Coach Normani Edwards. I mean. Yes. So. So he knows how to generate points in the passing game. He knows how to get uh, points from athletic quarterbacks that, uh, can, can run with run the football. He doesn't get them murdered though, so that's a that's a benefit as well. <laughs> so big plus I, there. I, plus. I, th- I think I think this is overall a good hire. Uh, again, uh, much like the the the, the Prelo hire, it's not necessarily sexy, but I think it is it, it's good and strategic. All right, last one. This just dropped today. The White Galt the Fourth is going to be the director of strength and conditioning for the football program. Obviously, when we talked about Keith just a few minutes ago, his dad has been with James Franklin for a little over ten years. You see Penn State. Not a lot of times they're getting out physical. Do you see what he did with Saquon Barkley? Um, I, I don't know as much. He's coming from ODU. He had the stint at Penn State. He had a stint at South Carolina. He's a young guy. I mean, uh, let me pull it up here real quick. Uh, he is like, let me see, he is 2009, but, uh, so what, 34, 35? He's and, a little bit younger than us, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a little younger, younger than us, and he, hopefully the um, the apple fall, doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? That That's the big hope, and obviously, I mean, some of the things that they're doing at Penn State, you know, that's definitely going to have, have rubbed off on him um, between the emphasis on strength and also the, the analytic approach uh, to the strength system. I think that's something that we haven't really seen. Uh, I don't think we're going to have any skinny legs out there anymore. Um, <laughs> no, no more beach body uh, situation out there. This is going to be strong and fast. And I think if, if, if you're training towards that, then, then you got the right mindset. So there are your hires. There's still two positions left to hire. That is offensive line coach. Um, there's a lot of smoke around that. Maybe in the next few days that gets announced. And then there's been absolutely no smoke around the wide right receiver coach. So or yeah, there, there's been cool. nothing nothing louder than a whisper on the wide receiver front. Uh, there's full on uh, <laughs> ship horns for for the uh, offensive line coach. So. <laughs> You absolutely correct. Or, or well lit noses, uh, you know. <laughs> so think about it, folks. Um, let's go here, Brian. Three guys additionally have uh, have announced for the draft: John Parker, Romo, the kicker; John Tenuta, Raheem Blackshear. Any of these three shock you? 
Uh, probably to new to the most, to be honest with you, because I think he still has tape that he could put out there to, to improve his stock. Um, I think other than some early season snafus, John Parker Romo had as good of a season as I could have expected from him. Um, yep. you know, short of missing two, two chip shots in the first three weeks of the season. I don't really have that that much negative to say about him throughout the year. Quit kicking the ball out of bounds on kickoffs. That's yeah, all I ask. Yeah, couple couple of those, couple of those were rough, but yeah, really rough. Yeah, but you know, Blackshear, you know, I, I I've praised Blackshear on this program enough times where you, you guys know what I think about his ability, and that that's an ability that translate translates probably even better to the NFL than it does to the college game. So just the versatility he has to catch the ball. Um, he's worked, he's gotten a lot better running between the tackles. I think he brings a lot to the table. And I think just the shelf life of a running back, if you're, if, you know, if your stock's high, go ahead and, you know, cash in the chips. Well, he's probably got his degree by now. Um, obviously, some of the games he had this year, he, he really flashed. Uh, he's playing in the bowl, right? And yes. He's not opted out. So one more chance to flash one more time for him. Um, Romo, the same way, probably got his degree. He's a kicker. And believe it or not, I think right now, because of what's going on with shy best kickers, they're getting chances in the NFL. He showed he has the leg to kick from 50-plus pretty accurately. Um, so go for it. But I'm with you. Tanuta probably does need another year of seasoning. But I think here's why he's probably going. And this is just my thought. He's got the physical makeup of a, of a tackle, either side of the ball. Perfect yeah. physical makeup. He's six foot seven and a half. He's 305 pounds. He's got pretty long arms. Doesn't have terrible feet. Um, pretty strong guy. But for him, it's he's been in this, he's been in the Fuente corn system his whole career. To Asked to say, let me flip it to go to a brand new system and learn everything new. I might regress, and if I regress, my chances are gone. At least now my tape looks solid. I have the frame. Somebody might take a risk with me. And you, you know who didn't do that, though? And I, I know, I know it's a different situation, but you know who didn't do that? Who's that? Wyatt Teller. <laughs> it's true. I know, I know the situations are different. We're not dealing with a super senior situation. We're not dealing with any of that, um, the COVID-related side effects. But sometimes the next year's seasoning improves your stock. And unfortunately for, for Wyatt, there were, you know, some things that where he and Fuente rub, rubbed heads uh, to kind of start things off that that, that hurt that, that comeback run a little bit. So It did. Um, but, hey, you know. He's taken everything since then and ran with it. All, I mean, Pro Bowl this year, big contract. Um, oh yeah, whole, and, and, have, and having a great year this year. So I mean, he's he's earning he's earning the paycheck, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching him some more this year. Um, one of the only NFL linemen with highlight tape reels because he yeah. loves to destroy people, and it's awesome to see that. All right, Brian, let's flip it over to the portal. Obviously, you mentioned it interview with Keith Braxton Burmeister has hit the portal um Braxton was trying to play in the bowl game but it's one of those it's a liability issue you can't be in the portal and still play um I don't think this is a shock to anyone but now we have Connor Blumrick Taj 
and a walk-on. Yep. We, I, I've got our rundown sheet here. I am hoping the next time we talk in January, because we are going to take a, you know, we'll take a couple weeks off, guys. There's some ends in that category that we can talk about because we need some. Yeah, we definitely need an end, especially at the quarterback position, just because that's one position that, you know, if, if you're a quality transfer, uh, teams are going to lock you up pretty quick. Um, we've already seen a handful that have been locked up. Um, looks like probably one more is coming through the pike pretty soon at Pitt. Um, he did on Slovis. Yep. But did, did anybody tell Slovis that Whipple went to Nebraska? <laughs> you know, it, oh, the, the, the whispers are that Whipple was the, was a figurehead, but I don't I don't think that's the case. So I don't think see. that's the case. Whipple's always been a solid offensive coach, so I don't think that's the case. We'll find out quickly. Um, but does BB land anywhere, or is he? He lands somewhere. I don't know if he lands a, another Power Five gig. I, I just think between his his proneness to injury and I think just the limited arm ability, it's going to limit his options at the Power Five level. Um, you know, that's on tape now. At Oregon, he was very young. There, there was still some ceiling to to reach for at that point. Yeah, I, I think at this point we've seen where that ceiling is. Um, and I think that's probably going to limit some of his opportunities. I think he could get a look at at, uh, at either G five or, or FCS for sure, but I don't I don't see a, another uh, Power Five spot for him. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and it's unfortunate for him because I think essentially I'll just say this: I think our coaching staff really messed him up. Um, they took away some of the best things he did, and then obviously the stories about the one read you know that can mess up a guy's head. So I hope he lands on his feet wherever he decides to go. No doubt. No doubt. It, it, it's definitely unfortunate. You know, I'm going to commit. I mean, I, I, I was critical of his ability right now, but I will commend him for putting everything out there when he was playing. Um, you know, oh, yeah. When he was on the field, he, he was 100% on the field. He wasn't taking plays off. He, he wasn't shortchanging the fans. He wasn't shortchanging his teammates. He was laying it all out there. So uh, I will give him credit for that absolutely 100%. Yep. All right, Brian, let's keep moving. Still more. We kind of talked about this last week, um, but the game of headset is kind of slowly coming to an end for the Power Five schools. And, you know, just a couple, you know, two weeks ago, 10 days ago, Tony Elliott goes to UVA. Um, I mean, good for them. I think with, with the way it was looking, um, I thought they were going to have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for something. They they, they were getting yeah. into spooky hours there for a little bit because it, it looked like for a second that maybe the, the original deal they had with Elliot had fallen through and they were going to have to pivot. And probably the best pivot they could have done at that point was maybe talk to Gaddis, but in my opinion, Gaddis would have been a a step up from where you were with Elliot in terms of you know attractiveness for the job. Uh, but yeah, I think they probably did the best case scenario considering where Bronco left them holding the bag at the end of the season. Um, at the same time, I think we probably came out better in terms of overall fit, culture fit, 
um, and and potential to kind of hit the ground running, um, especially because of the, how they had to close out the class with really having zero time to kind of keep things together uh, after Elliott was brought on. Yep. And, and I think, too, Tony, it's Furman and Clemson. We, we already went through, you know, Brent Pry, Virginia Tech, Western Carolina, ULL, Georgia Southern, Vanderbilt. It's going to be interesting to see them staff put together. Two more hires. I don't think this one shocked me. Dan Lanning going out to Oregon. We talked about Lanning. Lanning's been all over the place. He's going to a place where he's going to get high-end recruits. He's going to a conference that's not really known for strong defenses, with the exception of, like, Utah. I mean, 37 years former, old. Formerly USC. <laughs> formerly USC, probably less so with Lincoln going there. But yep. I, I think he, I think, I think they, they made a fine hire. They made literally the best probably young defensive coordinator they could. Yeah, I think if you were going to defensive hire, they probably did as best as they could there. Um, I know they were looking at a couple other um, options as they were putting stuff together. Um I guess they rumored to uh, have talked to to Chip um, at, at one point. I don't know how much uh, actual um, truth there is to, to those rumors, but uh, they land on Dan Lanning, which I think, if you like I said, if you're going defensive coach, probably the best that they could have grabbed in those circumstances. And I'll go ahead and, and, and hit the next one. Uh, Duke, w- with hiring Mike Elko, that's probably the best case scenario they could have swung. Holy, they absolutely nailed it. Um, guy that was on our list. I'm just kind of. I mean, maybe it's one of those stability things, right? Maybe that's yeah. why Elliot went to UVA. They both they're they they both know they are getting five to seven years. They know that. Kind of like Brent Pry knows he's probably getting six years. Yeah. Like, you go to a program where you can actually try to build. It's better than going somewhere. You know, I hate to say this. Lanning going to Oregon, he starts sucking. They'll fire you. Look what they did to Helfrick. Helfrick took him to a national title game. Two years later, they fired him. So, um, I mean, it, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what Elko can do there. Um, he had good defenses at Wake Forest, not great. Notre Dame and Texas A&M, he had elite defenses. So, I mean. He has shown the ability to take moderate talent and get a good amount out of them, even if they're not elite. And I think for Duke, if you can get above average defenses, yeah, you got a, you got a little bit of a shot. Um, you know, the question is going to be is, is, you know, the thing with Cut is that Cut early in his time at Duke, was able to recruit defense pretty well. And because of his offenses, they were able to string a few things together there. Is it go- is he going to have enough contacts to get a, the offensive staff in there that's going to be able to complement, um, you know, those pl- probably punching above their belt defenses? Absolutely. All right, folks. So we're going to turn next. We're going to look at the pinstripe bowl the best we can. Um, right now, Maryland has no opt-outs. Nothing's broken COVID protocols-wise that they're losing players or coaches. So we're going to jump in right to the offensive side of the ball, and we're going to talk about – I hope I pronounce it right – Tulua Tagovailoa, obviously, to his little brother, the quarterback. 
four-star, top 10 quarterback when he came out, top 200 player. Initially went to Alabama, then transferred when Mike Loxley got the job at Maryland. Um, this season so far, you know, 68% completion, 30 over 3,500 yards, 24 touchdowns, um, and 11 picks. So obviously had a good season. But what's the tape saying about him, Brian? Is it did he did he just carve up the bad guys and play terrible against the good guys? Uh, no, he actually did pretty well overall. Uh, okay. Good accuracy, especially when he was throwing uh, passes in the short game. Um, he doesn't take a ton of shots uh, downfield. Uh, they when they do, it's usually off some sort of play action. Um, that they, they usually like to. Uh, have a max protect in there or, or an, at least an extra blocker when they uh, take some of those shots downfield. Um, he will be used in the running game as well. He's got really good athleticism, uh, particularly um, there was a uh, play in one of the films I watched where he was able to run a uh, – they ran a pin and pull quarterback sweep and he got to the edge, went up the sideline for a touchdown about 58 yards. Um, so he, he has the ability to break a big play in the running game. That's not what his – his primary game is though. Um, he is looking to throw the ball, sling the ball around, get the ball out of his hands quick. Um, and he's also used some in the misdirection game on the reads and, uh, and things like that. But the primary thing we need to look at is that short passing game and making sure we get him out of rhythm. Yeah. And, and it seems like that based on the, the data I'm seeing, they are a pass first team, not a run first team. Let's hope that maybe, we get some snowfall in New York. The wind blows a little bit hard, and uh, he can't throw it to a guy like Rakeem Jarrett, his top wide receiver, top 30 player, top player in D.C., top five wide out, five-star, um, played at St. John's. We know our deal with St. John's. We're not allowed to go in there anymore or under the old regime. Hopefully, Brent Pry can open up those doors like he kept the two St. Francis guys this year. Um, but man, this guy's torn, has torn it up this year, 56 receptions, 769 yards, 13.7 per catch, five touchdowns. Um, what are we seeing out of Rakeem Jarrett? Cause clearly he is, uh, Tagovailoa's favorite target. Yeah. And, and ironically he's got good yards per catch, but he's really more of a stick mover that just has really good run after the catch. He's not running a ton of deep routes um, consistently. Um, it's, you know, a lot of slants and, and comebacks. Uh, he will break a kind of deep crosser. That's really, that's really where he kind of gets guys to beat deep is those, uh, some deep crossers. Um, where, where, that's where he can break off some of the big plays uh, down the field, but, um, he, he, it's mostly stick mover routes. Then uh, he's just good with the ball in his hands after the catch. That's good to hear because, you know, the other guys on the team, you know, only one other guy has more than 500 yards, and that's Dante Demas. So, you know, I think it's one of those things. I think what Ham's got to do is look to focus him. Don't let him beat you. Don't let him beat you for the next guy we're about to talk about because he is really their only running back threat. And that's Tayon Fleet Davis. Three-star out of Oxon, Maryland. Um, you know, so far this season, you know, 
664 yards on the ground, only 120 carries. So over five and a half a carry with eight rushing touchdowns. But, man, do they use him in the passing game. Third, third on the team in receptions with 32 at over 300 yards, averaging right about nine and a half. What's the tape telling you about this guy's game? Yeah, he, he shows really good burst, even though he has limited carries um, in the running game. Uh, he gets really good, consistent yardage despite those limited carries. Uh, and he has the ability to bust a big play in the running game, but he they really use the running game to complement the, the passing game, to complement uh, what they like to do with play action. Uh, he's primarily used just swinging out of the backfield, a check down for, for uh, Tagovailoa. Uh, he's primarily that type of player for them. He will occasionally run kind of a wheel or um, things where you're where you're getting the ball to him further down the field. But this is really a guy that catches the ball in space and can make guys miss and get upfield for for some big yardage. All right, good deal. All right, man, give me some info on the offensive line for this year. Uh, they are very average in their run game. Um, they they're better in pass pro, but they're not great. Uh, they do have a lot of play action plays, uh, both RPOs and true play action. Um, they're not the best at blitz pickup, but when they run that run action, a lot of it's counter action. So you got guys pulling across the formation, um, blocking guys like we've seen, uh, you know, to, to some success and some utter failure this year uh, on, on our end. Uh, with with those counter uh, play actions, um, you know, not not the best offensive line overall. Probably the weakest overall unit of the offense. Uh, but they're good enough in pass pro where they're able to do a lot of things in the passing game uh, as long as the quarterback doesn't hold the ball too long. Yeah, you talk about their running game. I mean, their running game averages under four. That's that's bad. They're 93rd in the country in over 130 a game. But when you're averaging under four, that's where that's where you have to get scared because that says, well, if you run the ball three times, there is a mathematical chance you will not get a first down, right? Yep, exactly. You will mathematically not get a first down. And, you know, they're good in pass pro, but they're not, like, elite. And, you know, and I say that, they're giving up roughly over two sacks a game, um, ranking somewhere in the 80s. So not like bottom of the barrel like they kind of are with the run game, but definitely there's going to be some opportunities there to take advantage of them. But before we look at how to take advantage of them, let's look at the defense, Brian. And I want to start – I'm trying to figure out how the hell – Maryland are getting these recruits. Nick Cross, the safety, four-star, top 50 player, out of DeMatha. I mean, this guy so far this year, Brian, 63 tackles, couple sacks, three interceptions out of a safety position, a forced fumble, had some pass deflections. I mean, thinking about him, six foot two oh five. Hell, he's a class of um, – let me see what it is here. He's a class of 19. I mean, he could legitimately, like, leave. And I don't know if the tape's saying that, but the stats say that. 
I mean, he has that potential. Um, you know, he plays that safety position. He's really good, uh, especially in zone coverage. He's rangy. Um, he will be asked to man up on occasion. Sometimes they'll actually put him on the outside receiver man up. Um, he has some lapses in his run fits, and he's probably only an average tacker, which might be the things that potentially limit him being a guy that can jump right now. He's still got a little bit of things to clean up in his game, but uh, just his athleticism and his his, his ability, I mean, it, it's off the charts. It definitely jumps off the tape. Um, and, you know, that defense, they run that that 3-4 base. They'll switch into a 2-5 from time to time. So it gives him some opportunities to to kind of move around and do some different things on that defense. Yeah. Looking up here, if you're not watching, uh, Hokie's down 11 late. So it looks like this is going to be a loss to Duke. Duke takes a 13-0 run early second quarter, excuse me, second half to really flip this game over. Um, and, Brian, you talked about right there about – running a 3-4, running a 2-5. Obviously, they're dependent on linebackers. And um, Ruben, I hope I pronounced this right, Hippolito the second, definitely a uh, another really good recruit, you know, class of uh, 2020, four-star out of Hollywood, Florida, you know, six-foot, 225. What, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the tape saying with him? Yeah, this is a guy that they're they're going to be bringing on a lot of their blitzes. He's their primary blitzer from the inside linebacker position. Um, they'll send him on run blitzes and in passing situations. He does a really good job of disrupting the line of scrimmage and then getting getting at the quarterback, making the quarterback get rid of the ball, uh, occasionally getting in there for a sack there. Um, he's, he's also a good tackler, uh, above average run stopper uh, for this unit. And uh, he primarily covers the the running back when they go into man coverage situations. So you'll see him kind of shadow the running back out of the backfield um, on passing downs if they're in man coverage. Yeah. And so far this year, um, you know, 50 tackles, couple for loss. So really more of a tackler than what you're seeing, you know, not a sack master by any means. Um, and, you know, force fumble, couple pass deflections. So, He seems like that guy. If if you if you get to him, he's going to take you down. He's not going to get you in the backfield. He's not going to be sacking the quarterback. He's not going to be picking the balls off. So, good player, not great. Um, but let's talk. He's about, still young. I mean, this, this yeah, is really yeah, second second, second year. full year on campus. Oh, so, second year. Uh, so he's got some growth there, but yeah, he, he he's a little rough around the edges in some areas. Um, but like I said, they they primarily use him. To, to blitz to really disrupt the uh, the line of scrimmage, he doesn't always get home in terms of making the play. But um, a lot of times, that's not the goal of, of sending the blitz. It absolutely isn't. So let's go to one last player here, Sam Ukana Anua, number ninety-seven. Sam, obviously outside linebacker, a JUCO transfer from here, from up in. Lowell, Massachusetts, you know, and so far this year, having a really solid season for them for being a JUCO transfer, um, 46 tackles, four sacks, two and a half additional tackles for loss. Um, is he their best edge presence, Brian, or is there somebody better than him out there? 
Uh, he's their best balanced edge presence presence for sure. Um, he is a big dude. Oh yeah, six three uh, like two seventy five, and he's two eighty. Yeah, six three two eighty. Big oh. dude coming off the edge. Um, usually don't see that type of size on guys that aren't already in the NFL, and some sometimes you don't see it then. No. Um, and he's he's got good athleticism for two eighty. Um, he can be neutralized when you run away from him though, because he doesn't have that elite edge speed that you see with some guys in the uh, in the three four. So. Um, you can you can neutralize him a little bit by running away from him, and he's not an elite pass rusher, uh, but he does a good job with his bull rush. Um, obviously, given the size, you probably expect that. Um, so so look for him to be the guy that's going to apply some pressure um, on those passing downs. Again, he's not elite at that, but he's he's so balanced at both the run and the pass, uh, and 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 so good with that using his size uh, that he's going to be a load to handle, especially with. Um, you know, being being down at least one offensive lineman uh, on the interior there. All right, so there you have it. Some names to look for next Wednesday when we play the Maryland Terrapins. And obviously, we've got our game plan, our version. I'm also watching the end of the Missouri Army game. Missouri up one, Army driving. We went split pick on this. I went Mizzou, Brian went Army. So we'll see if we're changing the update to the bold pick so far. But, Brian, let's talk about the Hokies game plan. And obviously the number one thing is, can we field a team? I mean, that, that's the big thing. Are, are we going to have enough guys to safely field a team for this game? And I think we are. Um, and that, the you know, the question right now is, you know, as we're getting closer to game time, we haven't been hit by the the the, the COVID bug yet, right? So, Not yet. Um, you know, a lot of the problems we're dealing with is roster management problems and opt out problems and guys uh, transferring problems. We don't have you know the, the problems that a Texas A and M is experiencing right now, mm-hmm. um, but we are we are dealing with gaps in areas of our team uh, because of those reasons I just mentioned. Uh, so hopefully something else doesn't come down the pike that's going to make uh, a bad situation worse where, where we're in a, a world of hurt on the 29th. Oh, man. Oh, man. Here we go. They're inside the 40 now. 34 seconds left. They're about 12 yards from field goal range, though. Army kickers. Um, yeah. All right, Brian, let's talk about a couple things. Let's talk about offensively. Dude, I mean, when me and you talked about this the other day, I'm like, are we going to run the ball? Are we going to pass the ball ten times? I mean, we got to control the clock, right? We're going to have to control the clock for sure. Um, we're going to have to limit. Uh, you know, we we need to maintain the the ball just to limit them having opportunities on on their offensive side. But we need to lean on our strength, which is our running game. We're we're still going to have more or less the the running dynamics of our offense intact in this game, and we need to take advantage of them. So looking forward to see what, what's been drawn up to, to do that. Um, <laughs> knowing corn, we're going to come out and sling it 30 times in the first half. And I, I don't know what that looks like, but no, no right now does. I'm expecting a very run heavy run oriented um, quarterback power style offensive attack for this game. Yeah. And we have to do it because they do have a good passing offense. Plus, again, 
we looked at the weather forecast. It's not showing snow or anything, but it's still going to be like 40. It's going to be a yeah. cold day up there. Um, if they get an Arctic breeze, actually, you know what? Let's go to the weather forecast of what they're saying a week out in New York City. New York predicting next Wednesday, actually 52. So it's going to warm up, but there are going to be some chances of rain showers, potentially snow. So do that. And I think you talk about slinging the ball. We're going to have Jalen Jones. We're going to have – ah, shit, they just got in field goal range. You might be winning this one, buddy. Um, taking shots, right? Like, if we're going to run the ball a ton, eventually we're going to get those free safeties in the box. It's likely going to be Connor Bolmerick back there. He is number one on the depth chart with BB transferring out. But we're going to have to pop some big plays or scheme some big plays. I know you'd love to see, like, some running back throwbacks and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see a couple big plays get hit. Um, you know, Connor does have a stronger arm than Braxton. It's not an accurate arm, um, but but it is a stronger arm. So if he can, you know, is he if he's able to have the time to to step into it and drive the ball downfield, you know, there might be some opportunities to hit some big plays to Jalen Jones, um, to Dwayne Lofton, to maybe uh, Jaden Payute if he's out there. Um, there there's going to be some options, and I, I'm saying young guys' names because we're not going to have. Obviously, Tay Robb is transferred. Trey Turner's opted out. Um, obviously, James Mitchell's been injured. So we're, it's going full youth movement on the skill positions, uh, especially at the wide receiver range here. So um, we're going to look to, you know, hopefully hit one or two, one or two of those guys downfield a, a couple times just to, number one, keep them honest. Number two, um, take advantage of some of those mismatches. Absolutely. Some loaded boxes and um, some opportunities like that. Oh, here's the game. Let's see, 41-yard attempt. We're going to talk about the defense in just a second here, folks, about what we need to do to slow down this Maryland offense. Snap, hold. There is a flag on the play. The field goal is good. What's the flag for? But let's talk about, Brian, Ben, don't break defense. I have a yep. feeling because of what they do offensively, if you see us come out and single – high or zero coverage with the amount of people we're missing. Jermaine Waller not going to play. Amari Barno not going to play. Jordan Williams. You might lose your shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we need to attack them at their offensive line because they are susceptible there, but we can't just run cover one, cover zero all game and hope for the best. Um, we're going to have to mix things up, and we're going to have to make sure that we keep everything in front of us. So you can still go with those coverage options, but you got to make sure that you don't get beat over the top. Um, if you get beat, it's underneath. It's in areas where guys can come up and make a play, make a tackle. Um, because if, if we let them run up and down the field, get some big plays, it's going to be a long game. Um, especially if we get some run after the catch. So definitely bend don't break is the biggest thing for me. And like I said, just limit those big passing plays because that's what they're going to go for um, to, to beat us. And like I said, it's not always going to be shots down the field, but it's going to be getting their playmakers in space where they can make one guy miss, and now a 10-yard gain turns into a 30-yard gain. We need to make sure it stays a 10-yard gain. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, and I'm hoping what we see is a lot of quarters, a lot of cover four, cover threes. I mean, and I think if you're – to be realistic, and Keith mentioned about bringing pressure, we can run quarters and still bring pressure. Now, yeah. what has to happen is you 
explained this to me before. If we're going to do that, the guys who are sitting back in those zones, they've got to close quick. Like yep. if we're going to send, we're going to send five or six, and we're going to leave some middle of the fields open. Whoever's playing that back zone's got to, got to close quickly. Or got to come, well, come up in control. Exactly. Make, make a sound tackle. So um, and so, uh, I, you know, I think cover six is going to be probably the most prevalent um, coverage you see that that quarter quarter half look um, where you can bring an outside linebacker, you can bring um, a nickel, you can bring a corner uh, on a blitz. Uh, and get home and still have soundness in the back end. The opportunities will be there. Um, I'm going to just say this. I'm not giving a prediction this week. I'm not. I'm abstaining. Because I'm abstaining. You can give one. I'm abstaining. It is way too many unknown variables. We have so many people opting out. We don't know who's – we know who's not playing. We don't know what it's looking like behind in practice. We don't know what the hell Corn's going to do in his last game. I'm abstaining. I'm not giving a prediction. I hope the Hokies run all over Maryland's terrible run defense. It is one of the worst in the country. They're one of the worst scoring defenses in the country, giving up over 32 a game. And I hope we can win the game. If we make it a 12-possession game between both teams, we have a shot. But I'm not giving a prediction this week. I'll I'll give one just to just just to give the uh, the listeners some something to criticize me about if I'm wrong. I think it's going to be Maryland, and and it's solely based on the opt outs. Um, they're they're playing with the full deck. They're not having to really adapt their game plan uh, that they've carried throughout the year. We're more or less having to change how we're doing it or or who it's going to uh, in order to even put a team together for this one. So I think it's going to be a struggle. I think we keep it close though, but okay. I just think that they're, they, they've played too many, too many games together. They have enough talent to probably push them over the edge there and get the win. All right. Brian takes Maryland. I abstain because I don't know enough about our team right now. All right, Brian, Saturday pickums for this year. We ended after the army Navy game. You 70, 62 and two. Me, 74, 55, and 2. So far through bowl season with that field goal by the Army kicker, 41 yards. We're both 5 and 7. This is why we don't do spreads on the bowl games, because it is a <laughs> pain in the ass. But tonight we have – I texted Brian this, and he was driving, and he went back and said, 29, eh? 29 picks, Brian. We're picking them all. Lock in, folks. <laughs> All right, let's start starting tomorrow. Frisco Bowl down in Frisco, Texas, Miami of Ohio and North Texas. I'll take the lead on this. I don't know anything about either of these teams. One's a Mac, one's a Big Green that was in unnecessary roughness. So I'm going to go with the movies here. I'm going to take North Texas to take this game. I'm kind of with you on this one. Um, I think North Texas, I, I've heard more about them this year than I've heard about Miami of Ohio. So I'm going to go solely off that. I think North Texas pulls it out. Um, I'm going to let you talk about the next one. I'm going to grab my, my computer charger before this bad boy dies. All right. So the, the next one, y'all, is, well, there's been a lot of heated rivalries 
about this one. It's UCF, it's Florence, and the Gasparilla Bowl. Um, there were some tenacious things going on when UCF, after their big season of going undefeated, they wanted the home-and-home. Home. Florida was willing to give them a home-home and then back at the swamp one more time. So a little tumultuous. Also, you got Gus Malzahn, very familiar with Florida from his time down at Auburn. Um, Florida's under is much like us underneath a whole regime change. Um, Billy Napier, obviously not in place. Also, Billy Napier maybe just needs to be quit talking. But Brian, going to put his earphones back on here. I just gave a synopsis of UCF and Florida, the Gasparilla Bowl. Who are you taking? Uh, I'm going to go with UCF here. Uh, I feel like they're the more consistent team, um, even though Florida's got more talent. Uh, I just think UCF probably is the better overall team, more consistent. So let's take UCF here. I'm going to take Florida. I think I saw a lot from Florida's players, especially in that FSU game. Played hard, didn't quit, clearly um, like the assistant coach. I'm going to take Florida. That's just going to be an entertaining game to watch on both sides. But I think Florida gets them in the end. All right, Brian. The Hawaii Bowl. Only one team plays in the Hawaii Bowl. It's always Hawaii. This year they're playing your old coach, uh, Silverfield, down at Memphis. And on this one, I'm going to take the home team. Give me Hawaii. They're used to the sun, the surf, and all the fun stuff to do out there. It's just another football game to them. What about you? I'd normally go with you, but I'm, I'm going to be Homer here. I'm going to go Ryan Silverfield in Memphis uh, to pull it would. out. I thought you would be. All right, next one, um, Camellia Bowl on Christmas Day, Ball State and Georgia State. What do you say on this one, Brian? Let's see, man. Um, I don't know a whole lot about either. I, I know more about Georgia State than I know about Ball State, so I'll take Georgia State. All right. I think they got probably more talent top to bottom, so we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm going to go Georgia State, though. All right. Um, I'm going to go Ball State. I know Georgia State's lost a quarterback coach. and We do know that. We, we know. And probably someone has a lot of input on their offense. So I'm going to go Ball State on this one just strictly on what I know about that. All right. The always fun quick lane bowl, Western Michigan versus Nevada. Um. You know what? Saw Western Michigan's offense earlier this year, really put some points on Pitt, had some other good games as well. I'm going Western Michigan strictly off of beating Pitt. That's probably not a bad idea. Um, I think I'm going to go with Western Michigan as well here. I haven't seen enough of Nevada play to, to have a, a, a good insight there, but I have seen a couple Western Michigan outcomes, so I'll go with them there. Righty. The Military Bowl, the bowl we're glad we did not get invited to. BC, and it's also two teams that Tech fans hate because they're on they were on the schedule every damn year and they should not be. ECU, BC, Mike Houston doing a hell of a job rebuilding ECU. Same with Halfley up at BC. Um, can you look up and see if Djokovic is playing? I think he is, isn't he? Because he's coming back, right? I'm pretty sure he's playing, yeah. He said he's coming back, so. All right. So who are you thinking on this one, Brian? 
Uh, it's BC. It's definitely BC. Um, okay. I, I just think talent-wise, I think Jakovic's probably played his way back into a little bit of health here. Um, I think they've got the better overall roster. Um, I know ECU's doing some some decent things down there now, but I think BC's just got too much talent. All right. Next, Brian, we are going to go to the Birmingham Bowl, and we've got Auburn coming off a damn near upset of Alabama in the Iron Bowl in Houston. Coming off a really good season under Dana Holgerson, you know, basically losing two games all year, fighting with Cincinnati in the AAC championship game. This one's a tough one for me, but I'm going to go Houston. Houston's got the consistency. Houston actually has a quarterback where the quarterback for uh, Auburn is now going to be Dan Lanning's um, quarterback out at Oregon. Yeah. Uh, I'm going Houston, too. Uh, I just think Auburn not having Knicks, uh, really probably breaking in a brand-new quarterback. Uh, they've been up and down throughout the year uh, regardless of that. Uh, I think Houston's been the more consistent team, so I'll go with Houston. All right, both going Houston there in the Birmingham Bowl. All right, this is always interesting. It's the first responder bowl, Louisville versus Air Force. What do you say on this one, Brian? This is going to be at the Cotton Bowl. Oh, man. Um, this is a tough one, but I think I'm going to go Louisville here. Uh, they've shown enough flashes throughout the season where I think they they probably do just enough to, to pull that one out. Uh, he's going to go Louisville. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to match it. It's the usual. Anytime a service academy plays in a bowl game, multiple weeks to prepare for those triple option attacks, it's usually always good things. I fall short tonight. But I also got shown that while we were uh, while we were watching the Tech game, they missed numerous chances inside the five-yard line. So they were forcing field goals versus kicking – or forcing themselves to make field goals versus kicking touchdowns was Mizzou. So I'm with you on Louisville here. All right, Brian. Liberty Bowl, Texas Tech, Mississippi State, Air Raid, Sonny Cumbie versus Mike Leach. Over, under 110 passes. Over. 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 We might hit 130. So who you got, Texas Tech or Mississippi State? I'm going with the fighting leeches. Give me Mississippi uh, State. Who would that be? Some people still refer to Texas Tech as the fighting leeches. <laughs> He's going to go Mississippi State. Um, I'm going to go Texas Tech here. The guys really fought hard for Cumbie. Cumbie's also being kept on that staff um, by their new head coach. So – I'm going to take Texas Tech with some emotion coming to this game. And uh, the uh, the pupil beats the uh, the teacher in this one. Okay. Okay. Super interesting matchup next in the Holiday Bowl. UCLA with the uh, – it's really the dynamic quarterback. I know his first name is Dorian. Why do I want to say Finney Smith? But I know that's a basketball player. Um, but UCLA, NC State. What do you think on this one, Brian, while I look up the name of the um, the player for UCLA because it's going to make me lose my mind? I'm going to take NC State here. Uh, I think their defense is what's going to keep them them in this game and, and, and lead them to a win. I think their defense is just going to be too much for UCLA. 
right, I'm still I'm still efforting this here because I really want to know that kid's name because that is bothering me. Um, NC State's defense, yes, but it's, again, it's a it's they're flying out west. I'm not sure what time that game is going to be. Um, let me just a second here because now that's interesting me. I feel like they always do the this game at like nine, not like ten or eleven. Um, so another second here. Definitely, NC State's probably had their best season. Where you know UCLA actually not had a bad season. Eight o'clock kick, so not terrible for NC State. Dorian Thompson Robinson was their quarterback who kind of lit it up this year, both rushing um, and passing. But I'm with you. NC State, better defense, better overall offense. Um, NC State for the win there. All right, Brian. What do you prefer? Bow ties or, or, or sweater vests or bib overalls? Man, that's a great question. Um, in this game, I mean. <laughs> West Virginia, Minnesota. I, I, it's just the had to make the joke there. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not sure where I'm leaning on this one. This was this was one where. Right, well, well, let me help you. I'm taking Minnesota. You taking Minnesota? I think West I'll Virginia, take West Virginia just, just for the shits and giggles. Just despite. I think Minnesota's had. They didn't have a great year. But there were way too many games where West Virginia could have easily West Virginia could easily be a four or three one team this year. Our game is one of them. There are a few other ones where they literally could have lost and and not even been close. Probably Neil Brown gets fired this year. So Brian's gonna take the cousins. I'm gonna take the sweater vest and row in your boat and PJ Platt. All right. Speaking of cousins, our other cousins playing the Fenway Bowl up in Boston versus SMU. And on this one, Brian, this one, depending on what the Boston weather is going to be next Tuesday, which I have that on my phone as well. So let's do some forecasting there because these are two heavy throw offenses. Um, 46 in potential rain. I'm going to go SMU. Even though there's a coaching change there. No, they're both we, dealing with coaching we, changes. We know <laughs> UVA does not have a rushing offense. So I'm going to take SMU in this case. Yeah, I'm taking SMU. Uh, they do have a semblance of a running game, even though they like to sling it around a lot. Uh, UVA has none of that. Both of them are missing their head coaches, a lot of their staff. Um, so I'll, I'll take SMU. Yeah, but SMU's had a little bit more time to prep, and that's probably one of those big things that, you know, you have to kind of think about, right? Yep. SMU's known since really what going on what four weeks ago Sonny Cumbie was going to TCU as compared to UVA literally found out during bowl practice, oh, Bronco's leaving. Like, oh, shit, he is? What are we supposed to do here? So, yep, we're both on the SMU train to win up there. All right, this is a really interesting matchup next, Brian. Cheese it bowl. It seems like every year this bowl is a really good matchup down in Orlando. This year is no different. Clemson versus Iowa State. What do you got on this one, man? 
Yeah, this one's a hard one for me because Iowa State's probably played better overall, but Clemson played better, I think, to close the year out. Um, I, they're also losing their offensive coordinator. I think just from a consistency standpoint, I'm going to go Iowa State here. All right. Brian goes Iowa State. I think the big piece for Clemson and why I'm picking them is even though they're losing Tony Elliott, Streeter's taken over. Streeter's been in DJ's ear all year. DJ's played better. I also think on this one, it's going to be an ugly game. I think – I don't know what the over-under is on this one. I have not looked that up. I'd take the under because you've got two hard-nosed defenses that really can play. I think the offensive talent of a guy like DJ or Shipley or Justin Ross – can't remember. I think John Ross might have opted out. I think Clemson has one or two more playmakers to win this game, something like 23-17. Okay. All right. Get some interesting here. Oklahoma, again, the we're going to leave you bowl. Oklahoma, Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. Oh, man. Lanning's there. Venables isn't. More, gee, I don't know who to pick in this game. Can I abstain from this one? No, I can't. Because we keep records of this. Um, you got to pick. You got to pick. I'll go Oregon. I feel like Oregon, it wasn't as a shot as it was to Oklahoma. Like, I think Oregon kind of knew in the back of their mind, if Miami comes open, Mario's probably going to leave. So, I'll take Oregon. I, I'm not with that. I think – I think Oklahoma has a little bit more consistency in terms of the uh, the interim that they put in place and things like that. So I think that uh, Oklahoma is going to be in a better situation. Who is interim down in Oklahoma right now? Did they put Stoops in there? Oh yeah, Stoops is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't know who the Oregon one is. I just think it's it's a lot of bitter spills to swallow there. Even though Rattler's off the team, and a couple other guys. I'll take Oregon. I'll say this. I think that game's going to go way over. Yeah. Way over. As the Alamo Bowl seems every year to go over. I don't think I've ever seen the Alamo Bowl go under, and I'm probably wrong. All right. Dear Lord, did you see the potato bowl last night? I did. Did you see the dumping of the potatoes? It was epic. It was. But Shane Beamer and Mac Brown have both said if they win, they're going to take the mayonnaise bath. The Dukes-Mayo Bowl, UNC versus USC, South Carolina. Brian, who do you have in this game of Shane or the team we probably hate the most? You know what? This is a, a game of the overachievers versus the underachievers, and I'm going to take the overachievers. I'm going to take the fighting Shane Beamers. All right. All right. I'm going to be exact opposite of you on that, man. I'm going to take the underachievers with a month to prep. Um, and, well, hold on. Is Sam Howell playing? That's going to be my determining factor. Is Sam Howell playing? Is Sam Howell playing? If Sam Howell's playing, I'm taking UNC. If not, I'm going to follow you. I haven't seen. I haven't followed him enough to. All right. Well, hold on a second. You're going to get this while I type it up back here. He's, no, he's, he's playing in the bowl game. Yep. Give me UNC. Give me UNC with prep. 
All right. The Hendon Hooker Bowl, the Music City Bowl, Tennessee versus Purdue. Um, Hook's going to roll Purdue. Purdue does not have a good defense. It's probably going to be a good shootout. I think Tennessee has more talent. And Hooker. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the fight in Hookers as well. So give me Tennessee. I think they uh, – it's not – a blowout, but I think they handle them pretty good start to finish. All right. Next, this is where we kind of get into some of the better bowls. The Peach Bowl, Pitt without Kenny Pickett, and a Heisman finalist, and Michigan State without Kenneth Walker, one of the best running backs in the country this year. Who are you taking in this game of the best players on our offense aren't playing? I'm taking Michigan State, and I'm taking them solely because I think running back is an easier position to replace, and I think that if Pitt had Kenny Pickett, I'd be all over Pitt because of Michigan State's secondary. But without Kenny, Pickett, without Kenny Pickett, it's Michigan State. Absolutely. You, you, you took the words out of my mouth. Michigan State is so bad on the back end. Pickett probably could have made himself a few more – probably went from being the 15 to 20 to potentially being a top 10 pick if he plays in this game. But he doesn't – you know you know what it is, right? After doing that fake slide bullshit, Kenny's fucking afraid that he does that again, he's going to get his fucking head taken off by somebody. <laughs> I'm sure Mel Tucker would be like, oh, he looks like he's going to slide, just go for Michigan State rolls um, – I think they win by two touchdowns because you're going to throw a guy who's thrown the ball 24 times out there against that. I don't know how many practice reps he gets. All right. Here's an interesting one, Brian. Vegas Bowl, which this bowl – now, remember Vegas Bowl used to be the bowl before Christmas? Now yeah. it's like one of the bowls right near New Year's. Wow, I'm shocked with the big, nice new stadium. I wonder why they've done that. Arizona State, Wisconsin. Can the ACC get a? I mean, they're not playing at UNLV Stadium anymore. No, they're playing. <laughs> By the way, I mean, can, can I feel like the Vegas Bowl? Like, if you're the Power Five conferences, y'all, should, everybody should be stomping. Like, listen, we need to rotate this bowl game amongst all five of us, so we can always send somebody there because we know we will sell out. Yep, Wisconsin, Zona State. What do you say? Um. You know, I think I'm going to go with Zona State here. Uh, Wisconsin, little down this year uh, in terms of what what we what we're used to from them. Um, you know, they, they might not have a, a certain um, coach on their staff at some point in the near future, so I don't know if that's that's a change. So I'm going to go with Zona State here. Okay, you play you play to win the game. You play to win the game. Firm place to win the game. Both eight and four. Um, both up and down. I just feel like Wisconsin was more consistent. They had some games this year where they could have probably won and they lost. I'm going to go Wisconsin, um, even though a certain person might not be there. Um, we don't know the full status of that yet. We're still waiting on it. We're, we're really hoping it happens. But until it's announced, we're going to um, keep our mouth shut. But the uh, – but everything's out there. Everything's blowing. You know, you're seeing Wisconsin fans talk about it openly. Yeah. Hey, Brian, Gator Bowl, Wake or whoever the hell they play? I'm taking Wake. 
I'm taking Wake. We move on. Texas A&M, as uh, we talked about earlier, uh, out because of the virus protocol. Personally, I think Texas A&M just didn't want to play in the game. They probably have like six guys that are in virus protocol, and they're like, oh, we can't make it. It's it's not what they want to do because they want to play in big games like New Year's Day games. All right, we got a couple more before we hit the New Year's Day and the two big ones on New Year's Eve. Yep. All right, Brian. The Sun Bowl, Miami versus Wazoo. Um, Miami, kind of good down the stretch. I'm going to take Miami in this game. Wazoo, even though they're keeping – actually, take that back. I forgot. Wazoo hired their interim, didn't they? Wazoo, by 20. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Miami. I, I, th- I think they they pull it out. All right. If Crystal Ball is coaching the game or having some involvement, I'd go that. But remember, Wazoo fire Rolovich earlier in the year, then hires interim. They're borderline going to make the Pac-12 championship. Had a chance, so we'll go there. All right. The Arizona Bowl by Barstool, Boise versus Central Michigan. Who you say on this one? I'm gonna take Central Michigan here. The pimp. Yeah, got, got, got a support pimp here. Got a support pimp. I'm with you. Boise, definitely not their usual brand kind of down this year, so I'm with you on the pimp. All right, Brian. Those games are actually New Year's Eve, so write that on your calendar. The next games are New Year's Day, and then we're going to double back for the playoff games. Outback Bowl, Arkansas versus Penn State. Brian, I'm just going to be straight up with you. Arkansas has impressed me all year. Penn State does not have Brent Pry. He's a Hokie now. Penn State, I'm not sure of the opt-outs, but just give me Arkansas. I think it's just one of those games where that team competed with everyone they played with, with the exception of Georgia, took Bama to the limit. Give me Arkansas. First big bowl grade for them in a while. Yeah, I'm going to lean Arkansas here as well. Um and for many of the reasons that you said, I think uh, Brent Pry factor obviously in place, and then you got some trickle down to um, you know, the other positions with opt outs and things like that. So I think the combination of those two, I think Arkansas, it's theirs to lose. All right, one of the New Year's Six bowls right here, Brian. We've already discussed one: Notre Dame fighting Irish against Oklahoma State, two of the best defenses in the country. Who do you got in this what looks like potential defensive struggle down in the desert? I want to I want to give this one to Okie State. I think uh, okay. I'm, I was leaning Irish, but I think I think Okie State has probably a bad taste in their mouth the way they, things wrapped up for them. I think they want to get one back. All right, I would agree with you there most of the time. But I think in this case, hiring Marcus Freeman, keeping that continuity going on, Tommy Reese staying on as offensive coordinator. And you talk about a bounce back. How do you bounce back from literally jumping two inches short? If that kid takes off two inches later, one step later, half a step later, there's discussion that they're playing Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. 
I don't think the bounce back happens. I think the Irish win this game. I still think it's going to be it's going to be a hard hitting. It's going to be a tight game. But give me the Irish. All right, bud. All right. In the Citrus Bowl, we've got Iowa versus Kentucky. Man, this is another underfest here. Who are you taking? Uh, actually, I'll lead this one. Um, give me Iowa. Give me Iowa on this one. I think Iowa's a little more consistent. Um, I'll take Iowa. Uh, I th- I'll take Kentucky. I like their way of controlling the clock, controlling the flow of the game. So I think they're going to um, do that a little bit better than Iowa overall. Um, over under 12 possessions for this game. Under. <laughs> Everybody, they're going to have – everybody's getting five – Drive six minutes apiece. Be ready for them. Or actually, be ready for when Iowa or Kentucky have the eleven-play, eighty-nine-yard drive that literally lasts. There's going to be four minutes. of those. What are you talking about, <laughs> Brian? Brian, looking for a parlay bet. Uh, <laughs> I want to go over eight, four, eight-plus-minute drives. All right, Brian, granddaddy of them all, Rose Bowl, Utah versus Ohio State. What do you think on this one? I think it's going to be Ohio State. I think they're going to be able to throw the ball a lot better than they did against Michigan. I think that's going to be the difference. Um, I like Utah, but I think Ohio State's just going to have a little too much gas. I agree with you. Ohio State, a little bit too much gas. Utah, good defensively. Got the right quarterback finally. Got rid of Charlie Brewer. Sent him over to Liberty. Um, Although that kid needs to retire, seriously. Um, I, I think it's one of those games Utah hangs in there until about late third quarter. Ohio State puts the hammer down. They they end up winning like 38-24, 38-28. I think it's going to be a good game, but eventually that. Sugar Bowl. You want to talk about two contrasting styles. Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, wide open, go for it on fourth down, sling it all over the place, versus Dave Aranda and Baylor, slow it down, play tough-nosed defense. Do you like tough-nosed defense, Brian, or do you like slinging it around? I like slinging around as much as the next person, but I think tough news defense wins this one. So I'm going to take Baylor. All right. I'm going to go against you. As much as I want to agree that tough news usually wins most of the time, I think Lane is feeling himself. I think he's going to throw a few really, really trick plays out. And uh, I think, I think Ole Miss ends up winning this one. Well, Brian, we have got, to number 28 and 29. The big ones. We are two minute, two hours and 10 minutes in. We expected Keith to last about 30, but I think the second you pulled him on before when we were doing the pregame, <laughs> I think we probably – You knew right there, like, yeah, this is going to run more than 30. <laughs> we're going more than 30. Well, the fact with Keith is a – Again, I go back to thinking 94, and I'm like, dude, you play with all these guys. Crazy. But um, something we talked about in the pre-1993, 94, and 95 were the precursors to what we have today. We had the BCS and then this. In 1994, when Penn State didn't play Nebraska, 93 when Notre Dame didn't get a chance at Nebraska, it started where we're at today, and it's why we're going to be at 12 in just a few short years. Yeah, I said 12. We ain't going to eight. But, Brian, the Cotton Bowl, Cinderella, Cincinnati versus the Death Star in Alabama. Yep. 
You started the last one. I'm going to start this one. I think this is going to be more of a game than people think. Um, I think Fickle's got a hell of a defensive mind. And I think where we have seen it is at times, Bama against good defenses has struggled. Now, the breaking news today, I can't flip my prediction with Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone, the OC, the quarterback coach, and the offensive line coach being out there in virus protocol. So they're going to be at the game coaching, but they're not going to be there for install. I think Bama wins this one, but I think this is a hell of a lot closer than the experts think. It's at 14 or at like 13 and a half. I think this is like an eight or nine point game. I think it's closer than that. I think it's a touchdown late to to, to, to give it to Bama. I still think Bama pulls it out. Um, but, but this is going to show that a G5, really good G5 team can belong in this scenario, and it's going to set the stage for when we get to 12. A G5 team deserves a shot every year, just like yes. some P5 teams. Ask Brian, I sent him a soliloquy and a essay on the 12-team playoff, which we might talk about in the early part of next year. Brian got to read about 8,000 words. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> All right. Last one, Orange Bowl down in Miami, Georgia versus Michigan. What do you think on this one, Brian? A lot of contrasting the styles here. You know what? I I think the biggest factor is going to be is that, you know, Michigan is, is more or less riding a, a good wave right now. And I think that, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of continuity with their staff. They know who they're working with. They're not focused on other things. Um, I think that's going to be the thing that carries Michigan over the, to, the top there. I'm with you. I'm with you. Consistency. I mean, these two, are, these two teams are a lot of mirror images of each other, especially defensively. I think where offensively is Josh Gaddis has a few more tricks up his sleeves than Georgia does. I think Georgia's – run the ball, take some shots, screens. Where you saw in the Iowa game, Gaddis really – he unleashed a few things. Um, and I really think after seeing Bama do what they did and, you know, Will Anderson, you got a guy like Aiden Hutchinson on the edge with Michigan, I think Michigan wins this game 24-17. And I think it sets up for one, two – big programs to big personalities at the national championship, which unfortunately is on a Monday, not a Thursday. All right, buddy. This is our last episode of the year. And this has been one hell of a year. And I say that because of everything that's happened this year um, on this podcast, in our personal lives, um, with Hokie football. There's a lot of thank yous to go out this year. When we started this thing about 22 months ago, I don't think we ever envisioned getting the amount of followers we have, the amount of listens, 
you know, last year when we were averaging, what, 75 listens, right? Some, a little bit higher than that, but yeah. I mean, a little higher than that. We, we, we were still building. We're still building. And, I mean, in what, the last – Six months. What, six months, we've, we've doubled um, – we're, we're, we're pretty much 500 a, an episode now, which is – you know, that's a credit to everybody listening right now. It's it's a, it's a credit to we know, appreciate. You've been, yeah, it's 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 a credit to to y'all sticking with us and and thinking that we're bringing you know something <laughs> different to the table than that's out there. <laughs> yeah, we, we really appreciate it because believe it or not, we would be probably talking two plus hours of hokey football and college football regardless during the week. And that's why we decided to do it. We're going to do this anyway. We might as well put something out here and people hear, listen to what people have to say about what we think. Um, you guys have been awesome interacting, whether it be through DMs, messages, ratings, reviews. Um, it's really been, it's really been awesome. And you know, this year we've had so many guests and. You know, we're going to thank every one of them, starting with, you know, you know, 247 with Evan joining us back in February, Dwight Vick. Yeah, we had Dwight. We've had Brett Ciancia joining us back in uh, in the summer. Um, Christina Garnett uh, jumped on with us when we were looking at the marketing of the program. Uh, obviously, the great legend, Daryl Tapp. The holder uh, of the lunch pail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and we just saw this last week. Uh, we had Jeremy Counts and Jonathan Talley jump on with us. whole lot of fun. Friends chopping it up. Mike McDaniel joining us back in the summer was a great episode where I think we all had – we might have had one too many drinks that night when Mike had a great time. Former Hokie offensive lineman Austin Cannon here in the RBA joined us uh, getting ready for camp. Um. So many guys, and I, did we get everybody, Brian? We like forgot that. our good buddy Robbie Compton joining us for uh, the, uh, the the camp episode as well. So, Coach Robbie Compton, who will be joining us definitely in the early part of next year. Um, Robbie's already agreed to help us take a look at some of Brent Pry's defensive tape and do that breakdown from his perspective as a defensive coach and a defensive coordinator. So, lots of thank yous. Um, and Brian, I'm not going to be amiss that I, I we also lost somebody this year. Um, when we, we y'all heard about it back during the Syracuse week, our buddy Brian Wilkerson, um, who passed earlier this year, it's 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 a piece of my hokey, you know, heart that's gone forever. It's it's a it's a buddy who would chime in on this podcast, who would text and give us shit if we said something that he didn't like. Um, and so I'm gonna say this, and I didn't mention to you before, but I, I'm gonna dedicate this season to Brian's memory. Um, yeah, I'm gonna miss that guy, man. Absolutely. We miss hey, you, buddy. Brian, miss him. All right, Brian. Is anything broken? Did did like we do some weird? 11 o'clock midnight uh, dropping because we've gone two hours and 20 minutes. One of our longest episodes ever. Did anything break? Uh, not that I know of, man. Nothing, nothing big broke. Nothing big broke. All right. Well, for the last time in 2021, 
that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com, to listen to all of our episodes while you are there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out every week. We thank you for listening. Catch him out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening to us. And as always, Brian, let's go. Okay.